Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. For the first time tonight, my guest here in the audiobook Speakeasy is an author. She has been writing for quite some time and has had many of her books produced as audiobooks. Dawn Chapman, thank you for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thank you very much for having me, Rich. I really appreciate your time, especially since I think that you're a little farther away than most of my guests in the Speakeasy have been. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm from the UK. And where are you exactly in the UK? Um, it's it's called Lancashire, so it's kind of, I'm actually from a little place um, called Bersco, which is in between Preston and Liverpool. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, which, if I remember correctly, and I may not, uh, that's a bit north of London, is that correct? Yeah, it's quite north from quite London. North. Okay, all right. I, I have only been over on that side of the pond once, uh, visited, uh, uh, it was actually a work trip. I was... Uh, working for a company that had an office in, um, oh, geez, I can't remember the name of it now. It'll, it'll come to me later, but uh, I think mm-hmm. that they, uh, Crawley, and uh, I think that was about 45 minutes south of London, and uh, London was as far north as I got, so I believe you are quite quite a bit farther up the aisle than I've ever been. Yeah, we're, we're about four and a half, five hours from London. That's driving. Oh, so. wow, yeah, that is quite a ways. Quite, quite a ways. All right. Well, you get, people... you, you get the prize. I think that uh, I think that you have come the farthest to join me in the speakeasy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I like to be different. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you for coming in. What are you drinking tonight? Um, I've actually got Scottish whiskey. You've got some scotch. Well, you're, you're yeah. close. You're you're close. I mean, you're far closer to Scotland than I am. <laughs> yeah. And and so which, which, which which one do you have? It's uh, called, uh, I can't pronounce it, but it's Yora Origin. Origin. It's a 10-year ten ten year malt. 10-year. Nice. I, uh, I'm not familiar with that name. I'll have to look that up. How do you spell it? J-U-R-A. I am not familiar with that single malt. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's good. Something that I can explore. In, uh, in honor of sharing a drink with somebody who is in the UK... I thought, well, scotch, <laughs> scotch would be okay since it's, you know, over in that part of the world. But I thought, nah, I'm going to go with London. So uh, I went with one of my favorite spirits, and that's a London dry gin. Um, I, actually, I actually have five gins in the speakeasy right now, but I looked at all the bottles, and it turns out that three of them are U.S., and one is actually made at the, uh, I think it's pronounced uh, Brookledeck. I'm not sure. It's a, a distillery in Scotland. It's an Isla gin, which is very unusual. Oh, and uh, and so I went with my old standby, which is Tanqueray, which I believe is uh, made right there in Great Britain for a classic hot afternoon British type drink of gin and tonic with just a splash of lime. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for coming in. Cheers. Um, cheers to you as well. Thank you. All right. So you are currently in the UK, way north of London. Uh, where are you from originally? Um, I've lived here all my life, so born and bred where I'm actually living. <laughs> oh, that's great. So uh, so did you go to school there as well? Yeah, I did. Um, still local. Stayed, um, for, well, probably within half an hour from where I live. Nice. So uh, I'm sure that you had family around at the time. That's always, uh, it's always beneficial. Yeah. And... Yeah, I've got a um, brother, obviously my mum and dad as well, so. Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the area like up there? I mean, it's the UK, so I'm sure it's cold and rainy most of the time. But uh, aside from that, uh, what's is it more rural or are you more in a, a bigger city type environment? It's totally rural. It's um a con- it's part of the countryside. Um, I grew up surrounded by farms and oh. farmers, so I am a country girl. Nice. Um, with plenty of horses around when I was young as well. So that's nice. I, uh, yep. I'm, I'm glad that it's not so rural that you don't have internet access. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got internet. Maybe not when I was younger, but we do, we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, and so where you said that you went to school locally there, what, uh, what type of school was it? Um, just, uh, basic schools really. I didn't actually really know what I wanted to do with my life. I've always been a writer, but 
uh, at school, I wasn't encouraged with it. My teachers did not like me in English classes. So <laughs> it was one of them. Um, I tended to go for more things with animals. Um, and I actually went to college to study animal care. Oh, no kidding. Like pre-vet? Yeah, I, I thought about becoming a vet. Um, but again, I wasn't really very encouraged. So I, I initially left school and just went in to find a, a good job as I could at the time. Well, that's too bad you weren't really encouraged. Why was that? Um, well, to, to, to be fair, I was, I was very big as a child um, and I got bullied a lot for my size. Um, I think the teachers kind of didn't take to me as well because of, you know, things to like to do with that. I, I don't like to stereotype size, but it does put a lot of people off. It it does. That's really unfortunate. Um, yeah. So I did hear your bird in the background there a couple of times. So at least you still have something to do with some animals. <laughs> yes, I, I still love my animals. I've got um, I keep koi as well. So koi koi fish like in a in a koi pond outside. Yep. Nice, nice. Well, I'm a big parrot fan, so uh, so you got my vote of confidence <laughs> there. So uh, yeah. So you didn't do the animal thing, but you said that you you have been writing for a long time and didn't get much encouragement in school. What drove you to write and to keep writing? Basically, uh, my inner muse just does not keep quiet. Um, When I first got together with my husband, um, I just stayed in the job I was in and kept writing. And eventually I got the confidence with him to actually go back to school and to college which is um, what I did. I think we'd been together perhaps about five years. So he encouraged me to go back to college, which I did. Um, I went to do creative writing and then eventually went on to film school. Wow, that's fantastic. So so you started out there with uh, a school experience that was not the yeah. best and you weren't getting encouragement. And then when you get the right encouragement from somebody in your life, you go back to school and do what you've always had a passion for. And in fact, then go on into film as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, film is definitely my first love. Um, I originally did start with prose and writing stories, obviously, when I was much younger. But as I got older, I think film sort of took over. And it was a a friend in the the day job that encouraged me to, to try my first hand at script writing. And he gave me a disc for a program which helped you out. And I sent off for a competition just um I think it was I think there's 200, 200 applicants. And when it was when I was accepted on the course, it was down to 15. So I got through out that, of like 200 people. That is great. <laughs> that is great. I love hearing stories like that where, well, you had a passion when you were younger and um, didn't happen for one reason or another. Always more unfortunate when it doesn't happen because people aren't uh, being encouraging and helping you get go forward in yeah. the in the path that you would like to go in. But then mm-hmm. uh, when you actually come back to it later and uh, and end up doing that, so that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So when when did you start? Are are you writing full time at this point? Not quite full time. It, it it's probably not going to be too far off. I'm thinking perhaps three to three to six months. Mm. I'm just I, I really just playing with it yet (laughs) Mm -hmm. well playing with it and yet you've had quite a few novels published how many how many novels had you have you had published oh i don't know without checking i think there's perhaps 13 different stories or nearly 13 i think the one that's quite a few yeah yeah it's quite a few getting there slowly that's good and and now you're writing for tv um but well let's get back to that in a second so um, when, when did you have, so you've been writing for a long time and it was a lot of short stories when you were younger and that type of thing, but when did you yeah. get, when did you have your first novel published? It was in 2015. Oh, I, so it was it, fairly recent. Yes. Yeah, so I published my, um, sci-fi, um, in 2015, but it took a couple of years to get there. Um, but, and I toyed with going traditional for quite some time, but eventually decided to, to just do it myself. Oh, so you did the self-publishing thing? Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, it sounds like, though, you spent quite a bit of time thinking about that and looking into your options. Yeah, I got quite a few bites off different people and things along the way. And it, because it originally started as a script, um, because of the, the film school, um, and I actually took on board another writer from the States who helped me um, create the TV series from it. So it was it was him that suggested to me one year, have you ever thought about writing the novel of what comes before the series? 
so it was like just before National Novel Writing Month, and I, I like kind of like challenges me. So I, um, I thought, oh, that sounds like a really good thing. I can write a novel in a month. So that's where um, the first book came from. Well, that's that's really interesting. That's not what I thought had happened. I thought that you had just gotten into the script writing, but you're saying that your first published novel was actually originally intended as a TV script. Yep, certainly was. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. And so the so the TV thing has been uh, been going on for a while there. Um, so yep. so let's go ahead and talk about the TV script writing then. So uh, if if that first novel was originally intended to be a TV script, but then ended up being a novel. When did the actual mm-hmm. script writing start? Um, the script writing started in 2005. Um, I went to this film school, I think, for virtually probably the 12 months um, with the peop- with the sort of like the class of like 15 or 20 of us. Um, so we, we learned all about script writing itself and all about film production and um, the different jobs inside, sort of like what goes on and around things. Mm-hmm. When we got scripts together the first few times, we formed little groups and then decided we'd go out and start to, you know, like to do do film, um, just to test, see what they were like, the short films. Mm-hmm. So I sort of formed a little, um, like, production company with, like, five friends. We went out and filmed one of my first shorts, which was called Lost Innocence. And we showed that in Liverpool in 2005. So that was quite some time ago. Yeah, it was quite some time ago, yeah. And then and then the first novel was originally a script and ended up a novel, but you are still doing script writing, correct? Yeah, I'm still tinkering with the script writing. It's, I'm not as active, obviously, because novel writing takes quite a lot more time. Uh. Um <laughs> so so it's still something that you're pursuing it's just right now the novels have have kind of taken over yeah there's there's a lot that goes into film and I kind of got a little bit fed up of um optioning things to mm-hmm. different producers and um they kind of get stuck in what they call uh, greenlit hell where yeah. just nothing ever happens <laughs> yeah I've, I've <laughs> heard happens. of that <laughs> yeah so I, it was one of them I thought well I'll give this, the pros another go and um I really enjoyed going back. I got some coaching from uh, a lady called EJ Runyon, and she helped me for a couple of years to to get my prose back up to standard to be able to publish. So she helped a lot with the first book. Well, that's that's great. So now that's what you're focusing on. Uh, soon you mm-hmm. hope to be writing full-time, and at that point, do you expect to maybe devote a little more time to the script writing? Yes, I'd love to get um, some more projects back into film. That that would definitely be a good go. <laughs> That's good. Well, I hope that I hope that happens. So your first novel was published about three years ago. When did yep. you get your first audiobook produced? Yeah, two thousand and sixteen. So it was just the following year, and it was it that first novel that had been published. Yep, it was. All right, and so how did that go? Um, originally, I didn't know a lot about audiobooks, so I kind of spoke. I think through Facebook, asked a couple of friends what it was like. Um, there's a, a, a writer and a narrator I know, Sean Saltzman, and he pointed me across to the a- a- ACX Indie Group, mm-hmm. um, and so I joined there because ACX itself is very complicated, and as an author, I sort of went on, looked around, and was completely baffled by everything. It totally like blew my mind. Yeah, I can um, understand that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really just didn't know what to do. I put everything on. Um, it was a couple of weeks and I didn't get any auditions or anything. So I was a bit like, well, what am I doing wrong? Somebody help. And it was Stephen Cohen that came along and helped me out there. Oh, sure. Um, Stephen is a wealth of information. Yeah, absolutely brilliant to talk to. And we decided to um, do like a hybrid contract. Mm -hmm. um, And he sort of pointed me in what kind of narrator you're after. So I went away and researched it quite a lot and came across a couple of voices that I liked um, and he pointed me to Greg Tremblay. I am familiar with Greg, yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of sci-fi stuff as well, which was really good and I listened to a lot of his audiobooks over the course of a couple of months and yeah, so we went ahead with that. Did you did you at any point consider narrating it yourself? No. <laughs> no, not, just not going to happen, period, end of story. No. Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, many narrators appreciate that decision. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> so, 
So that was the uh, so that was the first one, and in the meantime, I assume that you were still writing since you have ten or twelve or fifteen books available. So you were still writing as uh, as you were going through the process of getting that audiobook produced. Um, mm-hmm. Did that process at all change the way that you felt like you should write? Yes, a hundred percent. You definitely become a lot more accustomed to the way um, people would um especially like just general reading out loud as well as as acting in general mm-hmm. i start to devour audiobooks i actually was driving for a living at the time and i'd never thought about listening to books while driving mm-hmm. so it was just like wow this whole world just opened up to me with all these books from all these people and i met um jeff hayes and andrea ems oh who, sure, yeah. who's who's audiobooks um jeff one that i first remember listening to of Jeff's was called The Eaton and that sticks with me because it was just so brilliant and same with Andrea M's her first audio book that I listened to was just I just love it I'll, I'll never forget those two and we're sort of Jeff opened me up to the other genre that I write in as well so it's it's all good stuff I'm sorry Jeff opened you up to what uh, Jeff does a lot of work in the game lit, lit RPG mm-hmm. genre so yeah. uh, between him and like a couple of other coincidences we sort of um, met in in other forums. So is is game lit something that is interesting to you? Yeah, because I originally when I was a lot younger, I used to play a lot of tabletop games. Ah. <laughs> so it's, it was just taking me back to my childhood, really. Yeah. Well, that's great. Did you meet uh, Did you meet them uh, over here or over where you are? No, just in just through the groups on Facebook, and um, there's a, a website. Oh, uh, I see. World. You met you met them online. I'm sorry. I thought that when you said you met them, it was at, yeah, at APAC or a conference, a different conference or a science fiction thing or oh, something. Really. I see. So you met them online, and then you started you um, struck up conversations <laughs> yeah, and online. started to get get to know each other better. Okay, now I understand. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. And so, so it changed the way that you heard that. I'm the reason that I ask that is that I've heard that from other authors and as a narrator who has narrated yeah. books that were not written specifically to be audiobooks, I don't really think yeah. of it in terms of, um, I mean, I just think it's a book. And they wrote it as a book, and these words were going to be read. And that's it. Mm-hmm. But I have heard from several yeah. authors now that um, after having their audiobook produced, they feel very mm-hmm. differently about how they write. Not about the story, and and not about yeah. um, you know their specific approach to writing, but about a lot of mm-hmm. details. Uh, and one of the things that I've heard several times is about attribution to uh, statements that are made in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And and that you that's, don't always need that. R- she said. <laughs> right, right, right. Because it's fairly clear from the context. Uh, I have run into situations yeah. where it wasn't that clear, and I actually had to ask for clarification. Um, <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, it it does seem that way. Uh, is, is there anything else in particular that you think of when you think of the fact that now you write somewhat differently because you know that your books are going to be in audio? I think for me, because I sort of come from a visual, uh, especially like most recently with the film, um, so I, I kind of have a more, more visual way of describing things myself anyway. I'm not overly verbose. Um, I tend to keep things pretty short and sweet. So I think it does come across a little bit better with audio, especially because it's quite dialogue driven as well. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I don't think there's much else other than that that sort of would help people really, apart from just listening to as many audio books as possible. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that that does. Have, I'm I'm not surprised to hear that that does have an impact on how you then start to form sentences and sentence structure and and paragraphs as you are writing. Mm-hmm. As someone who listens to a lot and has heard their own words narrated by somebody else, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So since then, you've had a lot of audiobooks produced. Have you had all of your published works turned into audio? At the moment, um, there's just the second book for the sci-fi series, which I will eventually get done. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, sounds like it's a, it sounds like it's been a challenge. <laughs> it, it was a challenge basically because um, it, 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 the series just kind of stalled out last year um, for various life reasons. So I kind of also put it on hold myself 
mm-hmm. hopefully to be able to build up enough momentum with the stuff and the work that I'm doing now to relaunch it again in the next 12 months. Um, I've got a lot coming in the next six to eight months myself anyway, so I'm just sort of building momentum again. That's good. I know that. I think it was about. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's about um, eight, nine months between, in fact, probably nearly 12 months from publishing the last book to the one I started with, again, sort of like towards the end of last year, which was part of the, the first one in the Patera online series. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and that sort of just killed it. You, you've, got to, you've got to keep publishing. That's the, that's the, the only thing that you can do. You got to keep going forward. Yeah. I know that, uh, I've certainly heard from narrators and I can (laughs) speak to this personally as well. Uh, life sometimes just gets in the way of those creative endeavors. And, and when those creative endeavors are also your business endeavor, it can be difficult sometimes. You just got to keep going. (laughs) Yep, exactly. You just got to do the best you can to keep, uh, keep moving forward. Yeah. So the, the most recent audio box is definitely, um, definitely getting there. The girls that I work with at the moment, they're all really good. So that's good. That's always good to hear from, uh, from the narrator perspective that you're having good experiences. Um, yeah. so, so let's talk about the experiences that you've had in getting just in the process of turning your written works into audio. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I'm not looking here for any dirt. If you had a bad experience, I don't, ex- I don't expect you to name the narrator and say, what a terrible yeah. person. So, um, so I'm, I'm not looking for anything like that, but what I am looking for is anything that can be instructive to the narrators who might be listening, who are just starting out, or maybe they've worked with five or 10 different authors in different capacities. Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested in what worked and what didn't. So let's start with the good. Um, what is it that, that you have experienced that you would say makes the process of working with a narrator. Well, actually, before we do that, how have you, you said that on that first one, after talking to Steven, you went with a hybrid. So I assume that you mean that that was a royalty share through either ACX or Spoken Realms. And then on top of that, there was an external contract for either a uh, one-time fee stipend or a discounted per finished hour rate. Um, can you, even if you don't want to give the specifics about the numbers, can you talk about um, how that worked? Yeah, um, it, obviously, yeah, yeah, I can't even remember the numbers. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, obviously, it's it's a bit of a risk for anyone to take on a project which is, um, you know, fairly new, which I was, and as a, a first-time author. So to sort, if you want a good narrator, sometimes you do have to um, pay out for it as well, which is quite understandable, mm-hmm. especially because I did not understand at all the amount of work that actually goes into an audiobook I just you know coming along it was like oh yeah I'll have an audiobook and then it was like well this is exactly what the narrators have to do to mm-hmm. get it to a finished product and it totally blew my mind and I was like because the amount of time that goes into it you just really don't think a 10-hour book you think oh yeah 10 hours but it really isn't it's like 60 plus hours yeah. and then maybe some more so I think a lot of authors just really don't understand that and getting to understand that is very important for both sides. I agree. I, uh, I have heard that many times. Um, when I've worked with somebody on their first book after I'd been doing it for a while and explaining to them the, the process from the narrator's perspective, the producer's yeah. perspective of how many hours of work goes into it. That actually just came up again yesterday in a group on, um, you know, somebody asking about how long does it take? Because, you know, they don't have that much experience and they're curious about their efficiency. Um, but I have certainly talked to several authors. In fact, the very first audiobook that I produced, the author was the same way. I, I told him that unfortunately I couldn't accept his offer because the rate was too low. And then mm-hmm. I explained, uh, how much time went into a, a book and he said, oh, yeah. I had no idea. And he, he raised what he yeah. was offering. So a lot of times it's just an educational process. Sometimes it's not and people don't really care. But uh, a lot of times it's an educational process to let them know this is okay. why I'm having to charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I knew nothing about. So I was quite um, willing to do that. So working with Greg and Holly Adams, mm-hmm. uh, Holly, some of the, uh, the shorter works with me because of the female perspective. And she was a dream to work with as well. I absolutely adore Holly. Great. 
So the so the first one was uh, a hybrid like that, and the other oh. books that you've had done have they been have they all been hybrids? Have there been some straight royalty share? Have there been any that were just uh, pay for production only? Yeah, the the others for Patera are royalty share. Um, so the the first three in the series are with Andrea Parzno. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got the one of the the characters that I first wrote. Um, then Annalise Rennie, she's got the, the fourth book, which is a, the full novel. And I've been working with Susan Barbetta um, for oh, the next yeah. three. I so, know, this is great. I know all these names. <laughs> and I know yeah. some of them personally. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. There we go. So, yeah, all three girls are um, in, in the Patera series. And they each bring something completely different to it, which so far, because we've only just got through the fourth book, um, with Annalise, which I was a bit nervous about because everyone says, you know, obviously don't change your narrators in a series, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, no, <laughs> I've got to change my narrator because I really believe that it would be better for the story because it's a completely different character and character and part of the universe. And uh, so far, I, I so think far, that I, that that's good to hear. I, I think that that's a, a critical component because I mm-hmm. think that most of the authors that I've talked to um, and narrators for that matter as well, and especially listeners who don't like to change narrators in the middle of a series, it's because it's the same protagonist. But if yeah. you have a series, which is all connected somehow, but the story is yeah. being told about and or by a different person, I think that's a completely different situation. Yeah, and so far it seems to be working really well. So fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll keep mine crossed as well. Um, <laughs> so they've so they've been some royalty share. Have you done any straight pay for production? Not yet. Um, I think possibly next year. So we will again keep my fingers crossed. There's there's a lot coming out in the next six months. So okay. So so some royalty share and some hybrid. Uh, yeah. So now. Given that, that those are your experiences with uh, the finances involved, uh, yeah. what has worked particularly well in the deals that you've made with producers to get your works into audio? What is it that makes the process go really well? Um, for me, because, like, especially for the Pratera series, I sort of help out in the, the the game genre so i'm in a lot of the facebook groups and i help with um the discord groups as well um so i found that because the girls were interested in the genre itself and obviously got to know me through the other you know the narrator side of things um i think just basically just being there um i think obviously advertising any kind of book you've got to sort of really push all the time um, and the first series I wrote specifically for female narrators, because there's not a lot in the genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me. I'm not terribly familiar with the genre. I know of it, but I, I haven't listened to anything or read anything in that genre. But knowing what I do about gaming in general, I'm not surprised to hear <laughs> that it's no, mostly, mostly male. Guys. Yeah, it's mostly guys. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I think communication for every aspect is is very vital. And all through the process, really, um, I've never had anyone sort of disappear for a couple of weeks. They're always, it's always on Facebook or in the Discord channels or by email. Even if they message me through Facebook, it, I'll also get the, you know, the messages through ACX as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the girls, they've all been really, really good in keeping me in touch with what's going on in the lives and how things have been going and same for me you know if they've any questions they just come to me straight away so i can answer them or i can find out if you know i have to check facts and things like that so i'm not surprised to hear that communication is uh is has been a good part of Mm -hmm. uh how things have gone i'm i'm also really happy to hear that you have so many different channels open it seems to me that that is kind of a stumbling block for a lot of people so would you recommend people get in touch with the the narrator, the producer that they're working with outside of ACX? Yes, 100%, because ACX, just the, the, the email system's not always 100% foolproof. I've had, I have had people in the past say they've messaged me and nothing's come through. So yep, as I, soon as you can, swap emails or what anything, Facebook, whatever you can, definitely. I have heard that as well, and I have also had situations where... Uh, 
I couldn't tell. People always say, well, if it's in your scent box, nope, not always. Sometimes it didn't show up in my scent box and it was yeah. sent. So was that, that system is, <laughs> that is one goofy <laughs> system. But, uh, so that's, that's good to hear. So what about, um, anything that maybe made things more difficult along the way? I mean, it sounds like, and I'm, and I'm happy to hear this. It sounds like you've had really good experiences as you've been turning your novels into audiobooks, and that's great. Yeah. But if there, if there has been anything that has uh, made it more difficult or that has been frustrating, again, not without, you know, without actually saying this person did X, but if there has been anything or if you think that something would have been and would have made it really problematic, um, what what would that be? I think um, because I tend to go through quite a rigorous process of um, developmental editing, copy editing and proofing, I think that sort of like the most difficult thing is when you get questions back from your narrators about ty- typos and, and sentence structure and things. So f- for me, to, to make sure your manual absolute 100% as good as you can ever ever do it um there's nothing worse and nothing more embarrassing neither than you thinking you've spent say a thousand pounds on a manuscript and then them coming to you and saying yeah I found all these typos can you help me? can you help sort them out and I'm like how how you you don't think it's possible but it, it really is and that, that's the most frustrating thing for me was the fact that you spend so much money on things and then there's still errors so definitely make sure that it's the best product you can put out there that sounds like great advice to authors i uh, i have been in those situations as well uh, as a narrator getting a manuscript and yep. then then you have to you have to weigh everything you have to say well should i th- there's like these two two things that i'm pretty sure are typos and i can just infer what it should be and so i can just you know change that on the fly i can fix it for okay. the author but then when you come up with 30 in every chapter, now yeah. you're starting to say, and, and some of them are, well, I think it should be this, but I'm not really sure. Then you have to ask, and then you're ending, you end up taking more time. So I think that is uh, great advice for an author, from an author and, uh, and also from a narrator. Uh, what about from the, on the producer's side? Is there anything that you ran across or that you think you might have run across where you would say if if they would do this better or differently, that would have made the process easier or better for me. Um, not not really because they've been so very good. Uh, I think again, it's just it's just down to communication. With me being in the UK, I tend to find that a lot of stuff happens for me through the night. Mm, so yeah. I I do end up getting up early to answer emails and stuff before I like go to the day job. Um, so I do find that the time difference very awkward. Um, just making sure that schedules are on time, really, so that um, planning for things like advertising and yeah, we all try and do the best we can as an author to to set set up. I mean, my writing schedule is planned twelve months in advance now. Oh my um, gosh! So no I've, kidding. Yeah, I've got twelve months worth of books to write at the moment. Wow! Um, so just it can be extremely frustrating on if if things do go awry if something's late and that but as long as it's communicated really really early or you're you're aware of things are shifting then you can plan for it but if if something was suddenly dropped on you and you've had no communication then I'd say that was the biggest problem that makes a lot of sense um I, and I know that there are narrators who are booked out six to 12 months in advance as well. I'm, I'm not in that boat yet. Uh, hopefully I will be at some point, but uh, as of right now, not quite there. But I do know that they, they um, book out long in advance. And so yeah. when something does end up, you know, kind of screwing up the schedule, it has kind of a domino effect. Uh, yeah. And so I can, I, I can imagine that from the author's perspective, uh, that's not good if you have your schedule booked out that far in advance. Um, I'm, I'm really amazed to hear that from the author's perspective that you have your schedule down that far in advance. Uh, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, it's, it's basically because I, I do tend to work with quite a variety of co-writers. Um, and I really enjoy uh, that again comes from the film perspective because 
I I love other people's input and to me collaboration is just like a, it brings so much more to a story um the Patera series the the magic sequence the one that I'm releasing at the moment is with Jess Mountyfield and I brought her in uh through De- December last year to to help with this part of the series because I was asked to co-write another series with someone that I really admire and it was it, it just sort of happened that she could help me while I helped him. Um, so it was really interesting to schedule it between like the three of us. Of course, there was a few kinks. But <laughs> um, so I ended up having to write a little bit more on the Patera than I originally planned. But everything's ticking over just at the moment. I am still a bit late, but I still hope to hit the targets I set for this year. Well, this is really interesting to me because um, I never think about it in ter- I never think about writing, uh, you know, reading a novel in terms of mm-hmm. collaboration. Of course, there's yeah. going to be collaboration with editors and then producers, okay. narrators, if you have it turned into audio. But I never mm-hmm. think about, uh, you know, multiple authors on a story. So uh, going off a little bit on a tangent here. But uh, how do you do that exactly? How How is it that you have one um, consolidated story that two different people work on? So if you can just give me like one example of something where you and a co-writer said, okay, you're going to work on this and I'm going to work on this, and then it's all going to be one complete thing. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll talk about Michael Chatfield and the, 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 the story that we'll be publishing in the next few months. Um, it's Originally, he started out with it as the Harmony War series, which has been published for, I think, about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me about September last year if I'd be interested in collaborating with him on the second part. And so we, we, we sort of scheduled it in for January, January to March. And we had a good couple of chats over it because we've been sort of writing, not writing together, but like sprinting together, which is like, just two writers in different, you know, areas of the world, mm-hmm. just um, competing against each other for word counts. Uh, so we use <laughs> we use an online app called My Write Club, which um, we can basically just see the word count of each other go up, and it's just like a little competition to to keep each other going. That's great. Um, I'm sure it's a friendly so competition. Of course, of course, <laughs> it's just fun, and um, we've been writing together probably for about twelve months, um, and we scheduled the, the this part of the series. And I, I personally like really good challenges. And it was, yeah, we're going to write four or five books in a couple of months. Are you up for that? And I was like, oh, yes, let's see if we can do that. <laughs> so together we, together, we actually wrote 450,000 words in wow. 54 days. Which oh, is the oh whole... my God, that is huge. <laughs> yeah, um, he was traveling around Japan and Thailand at the time. So the time zone differences were really weird. Um, and obviously my workday schedule. So I'd write in the mornings and then he'd carry on in the evening. <laughs> so it was it was extremely good fun and we we accomplished a lot. Um, and obviously the, the books are going to be published in the next couple of months. So, But the collaborative side actually works really well. And what I found was that we just completely bounced off each other. So through the day it was really good that that is just really fascinating to me so you bounce off each other like mm-hmm. back and forth within a chapter within a paragraph within a, a section i just it, it's hard for yep. me to imagine the people that i know um you know because they're not in my head how yeah. is it that they're going to continue this story that i have started i mean i, I think of the the game that you can play when you're at a party right where you go around the circle and everybody mm-hmm. says a sentence and you create a story but I, but I but i think when you're actually doing this it's it's hard for me to imagine that so was it really like little tiny chunks or is it like oh, point of no. view chapter by chapter or we originally started out and we spent probably half a day working through the plot line um, for the, the sort of the series arc that we were going to do. Um, and we planned to start, I think, the 15th of January. We started writing on the 15th, and by the 16th or se- probably the 17th, the whole thing just went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> it, it literally just took on a mind of its own, and because we're both um, very fluid, so I'd read what he'd wrote, he'd read what I wrote, and it just... It just created this whole 
well, as far as I'm concerned, beautiful story. <laughs> but I suppose we'll wait and see what the readers think. So, but, it, so, yeah. so you created what you considered to be a beautiful story, just sort of <laughs> like day by day. It would yeah, sort of create itself because somebody else gave you something that then you could add to, and then what you put in, they could add to. It just went back and forth like that day by day. Yeah. Wow. I I find that truly fascinating, and I'm uh, I applaud anybody who can do creative work like that, um, and who can be that collaborative. It's uh, for some people like myself. It's it's difficult. Uh, the collaboration part is difficult because you're giving up control. Um, yeah. And it is very difficult in that sense. And yes, um, the series is his. Uh, the first series is brilliant. So I I had to read all five books um, over the Christmas period and completely digest all the characters, all the traits. Oh, uh, the sure. Military, yeah, so that, so that you're immersed in the world. Yeah, the military side of things, I wasn't sure. I'm not a military person. Um, so I don't know all the ins and outs of, you know, how things work and, and things like that. Um, so what I did tend to find working with him was um, if I mentioned something that wasn't right, he'd correct me. So I'd go back and work it again. But then there'd be things that he'd he'd write um, sort of like the more character side of things. And I'd say, no, they, they won't. It'd be better if it was just a little bit like this. And so we work together and help and make the story better from both sides of things. That is fantastic. It, it makes me think of... Um situations where you're it's either stage or or film acting where the where yeah. the director does not for d- does not allow themselves to have a a super tight control and mm-hmm. everything has to be perfect this way this way this way and instead yeah. if you let the actors play sometimes you can all of a sudden it can all of a sudden turn into something that's totally oh. unexpected and even though they might go off script it actually yeah. really, really helps with the characters. Um, not so much for theater. I'm, I'm not a fan at all of going off script uh, in theater, but they will end up doing something differently as they're using the script. Um, and so the collaborate, I, I love the stories of really good collaboration like that. So that's fascinating. Thank you for going down that tangent. It's not really related to audiobooks exactly, but um, I, I love... Series as audiobooks. It's the the first one launched yesterday by Tantor. So oh, nice. Fingers crossed it carries over to our series. <laughs> what What's the name of it again? It's the Harmony War Harmony by Michael War. Chatfield. Uh, I'm sorry. What's his name? Michael Chatfield. Michael Chatfield. Okay, I'll I'll definitely look for that. That that just sounds um, fascinating. So uh, so yes. Yeah, so getting back to the audiobook. So <laughs> it it really sounds like uh, from your perspective communication with your audiobook producer is absolutely essential. Yeah, 100% essential. Yeah, that's that's good to know. So aside from that, what other uh, words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators or even narrators who may have been at this for a while uh, as, as they are working to connect with authors? Um, have you been approached by anybody directly asking about doing an audiobook for you? Or if you were approached... You know, what do you think you would be most interested in hearing from the potential producer? Um, I think, obviously, when I look at um, the people who would work with me, I look at previous experience, what audiobooks they do have out. I like to listen to all the voices that they can do. Um, so that, to me, means, you know, purchasing the books on the on the lists. Um, also checking them out on Facebook, Twitter, any kind of social media. I like to know the person. So if they don't have any sort of profiles and things, then obviously they're not going to catch my interest. Um, most important for me is is for people to, to just be friendly. I don't like people coming in. And I find this as sort of like because I moderate within the game lit genre quite a lot that even narrators come in and authors come in expecting to just make money straight away that's not going to happen and a lot of the people who are authors and narrators who've been in this area for quite some time we can spot them a mile away so it doesn't (laughs) bode well um if you come in and you you get to know the people who do write in the genre and hang around discord or our facebook groups then somebody be more likely to say oh yeah you've been around i've heard you talk about you know, what you do, how you produce things, 
you've answered questions when people have got questions on audiobooks or even just narration in general. Um, so it's it, just to be friendly and not just come across as just, you know, just money grabbing, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that. Uh, I it, it does seem like there are people who get into, well, really any profession, but I certainly see it since I focus on audiobooks. I certainly see that every once in a while about people uh, uh, planning on, you know, making money right away. And uh, as the saying goes that I've seen and parroted myself many times, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's uh, difficult. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. I mean, in, in any field, you're going to have the the one hit wonders, you're going to have the overnight successes. Mm-hmm. Most overnight successes takes, you know, five to 20 years. Um, but every once in a while, you get one person and uh, or, you know, the the film stars who are immediately popular and then they get five movie deals and they make a ton of money. Um, it yeah, certainly does happen. But when you look <laughs> at the number of people who are also starting out and how many people actually have that experience, it really is kind of a one in a million shot. And so I, uh, I always try to make sure people are a little realistic in their, uh, in their goals. Yeah. yeah. You, you, it's, it's not about grooming people. It's about just being open and friendly as far as I'm concerned. And I, I've got, um, most, uh, and uh, most of my experience by observing, by taking part. I, um, just, just, I do manage a lot of groups and I do know almost every single person I watch on my Facebook friends list um, because they're, they're in the film industry, they're in the audiobook industry or the writers in general that I do really, you know, admire as well as follow. So, mm-hmm. and I, t- I tend to absorb as much as physically possible, like 24 seven. I don't let up. And I think people that who aren't in touch as much as they could be uh, a losing out because there's so many people out there who do have the time to do that. Yeah, no, I, I hear that as well. And sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm spending, well, and sometimes I think I'm right that I'm spending uh, far too much time in the indie Facebook group and in the other groups that I belong to, which I'm following and, and being a part of for Mm -hmm. my business, but it does end up taking a lot of time at the same time you end up learning a lot and yeah. and finding out about a lot of people and getting to know people and i and i agree that that's uh, that that's really important some of the people that approach me for jobs and i i do get paid for script work as a script consultant and i do get paid um for audio proofing because that that stems from my script i i did some script trans uh, i can't think of the word uh, trans whatever (laughs) translations whatever you want to say from script uh the film to script oh sure yeah yeah listening adaptations yeah yeah listening is very important when you you do either side of things so um and most of the people that approach me to do things like that it's because they've seen me around they've seen me comment on things they know i've got the experience Mm -hmm. and being involved in all these groups does bring that because i'm always aware and I'm always learning. I do get things wrong, but I learn from it and then I keep going. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, the way to go. Uh, er everybody gets things wrong, whether or not you learn from it is the important part. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so all of the books that you've done, have they all been science fiction? Um, even the, the the game genre itself can be classed under sort of like the sci-fi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, mostly mostly all sci-fi, yeah. That's so so if there are any narrators out there who are uh interested in doing sci-fi narration or who have maybe done some uh and they're interested in doing more, uh yeah. should they actually get a, get in touch with you? Just asking for a friend. Yeah, of course. They can, anybody can message me. I'm quite easy to reach on Facebook, Twitter, Whichever way, whichever way they want, I I do tend to answer most questions. Okay, so. cool. And where can people find you? What's your? Uh, do you have a website? Yeah, dawnchapmanauthor.com. Okay, great. And what about you? Said Twitter too, so you're on Twitter. Yeah, my online name tends to be Canundra. Can Can you spell that? K A N U N D R A. Okay. Great. I'll put that in the show notes too. Um, most most of the people that I deal with, I go ahead and. Um, put in websites and Twitter handles. And then if there's anything else, you know, they can add them. Are you on Instagram by any chance? Uh, I am. It's conundra underscore. 
Oh, just with an underscore at the end? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I'll put that in too. That's great. <laughs> all right. Well, Don, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming into the speakeasy from all the way halfway across the world. I really appreciate it. Um, I know that people are going to be interested to hear uh, from an author's perspective, since that is not something that they have heard here in the speakeasy. I'm sure that everybody has had their various experiences if they are an experienced narrator. But uh, that is not something that I've done in the speakeasy, which I'm hoping to do more of. Um, I really appreciate hearing from the people who are on the other side of the agreements that those of us who are on the production side end up making. Um, You know, everybody wants to have a good working relationship with whoever they're working with. Well, anybody who wants to stay in business wants to have a good working relationship. And so hearing the perspective of not just the one or two or five or 10 authors that you've worked with directly, but from other authors who you may want to work with or who might have a different perspective or a different way of doing things, I think is, uh, is really helpful. So I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of your experiences with us. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Dawn Chapman for stopping in all the way from the UK. I really appreciated hearing her perspective as an author on having her works produced as audiobooks. I look forward to having some more authors on the podcast in the coming months. I suspect that good communication is going to be a recurring theme. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>